we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Experiences are always in the past, never at the moment. And any experience you have is recognisable, otherwise it is not an experience. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the philosopher's talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti and the aim is to represent his different approaches to these universal topics. This week's theme is experience. Upcoming themes are the arts of looking, listening and learning, sorrow and dialogue. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust based at Brockwood Park in the UK which is also home to the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre. Situated in the beautiful countryside of the South Downs National Park, the Krishnamurti Centre offers quiet retreats for those wishing to inquire into themselves in the light of Krishnamurti's teachings. Please visit krishnamurtycentre.org.uk for more information. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, which helps its visibility. This week's episode on experience has two sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's fifth talk in New York, 1966, titled Can Experience Bring About Transformation? Man has always tried to go beyond these problems, either escape from them through various methods <coughs> or he has invented a belief which he hoped would renew the mind that is always deteriorating. And he goes through various experiences. Hoping <coughs> there'll be one experience 
that will transcend all others. And that experience <coughs> will give him total comprehension of life. He tries so many ways. through drugs, <coughs> through meditation, through worship, through sex, through knowledge, and yet through all these methods he doesn't seem to be able to solve the, the central factor that brings about this deterioration. <coughs> Is it possible to empty the mind totally so that it is fresh every day. So that it's no longer creating problems for itself. So that it's able to meet every challenge so completely, so totally that it leaves no residue, which becomes the problem. Is it possible <coughs> to have every kind of experience that human beings have and yet at the end of the day, not to have any residue to be carried over to the next day, except mechanical knowledge. So don't let's confuse the two issues. If this is not possible, the mind then deteriorates. Naturally, it cannot but disintegrate. So, our question is can the mind, which is the result of time, of experience, of all the influences, culture, of the social, economic, climatic conditioning, can it free itself and not have a problem? So that it's always fresh.
so that it's always capable of meeting every challenge as it comes. If we are, if we are not capable of this, then we die a miserable life has come to an end. We haven't resolved our sorrows. We haven't ever satisfied our appetites. We have coped in fulfilment and frustration. Our life is a constant battlefield. So it seems to me we have to find an answer to this question. Not through any philosophy which of course doesn't answer this question. It may give explanations, but obviously to answer it, which is to be free from every problem, so that the mind is tremendously sensitive, active, And in this very activity it can throw off every problem that arises. So I would like, if I may, <coughs> to discuss that problem with you. We understand what we mean by a problem. The inadequate response to a challenge. And there are endless challenges going on all the time, conscious or unconscious. And the more you are alert, the more one is thoughtful, the more the problems become acute. And being incapable of resolving them, one invents theories. And the more intellectual you are, the more cunning the mind in inventing a structure, a belief, an ideology. And 
Through that it escapes. And, as we said, life is full of experience, constantly impinging on the mind. And, as most of our lives are so utterly empty, lonely, boring, a meaningless, sorrowful existence. We want more and more a wider and wider and deeper experience. And the peculiarity of experience is that it is never new. Experience is what has always been. Not actually what is. If you have had an experience of any kind, you have recognized it. You say that is an experience. Recognition implies that you already know it, that you have already had such an experience, and therefore there is nothing new inexperiencing. <coughs> so it's always the known that is capable of recognizing any experience. The past that says that experience I've already had and therefore it's capable of saying it is an experience. You know, both in Europe and in this country, <coughs> the LSD is giving new experiences to people. And they are pursuing these new experiences, new take-off, or whatever the term is. And these experiences are the, are the result of their own conditioning. of their own consciousness limited. And therefore it's not something totally new. If it is something 
totally new, you would not recognize it as an experience. So, <coughs> so can the mind be in a state of such activity that it is free from all experience. You understand? This need explanation. As we, as I said, we are the result of time. And during that time, we have cultivated all the human tendencies. Culture, society, religions have conditioned the mind. And We're always translating every challenge in terms of our conditioning. And so what happens generally is, if one observes oneself, that Every thought, every movement of the mind is limited, is conditioned, and thought cannot go beyond itself. You see, if we do not have experience, we would go to sleep. If there was no challenge, and however inadequate the response is, with all the problems that it brings, we would go to sleep. And that's what's happening to most of us. We respond inadequately. We have the problems. The problems become so enormous that we are incapable of solving them. And so these problems make us dull, insufficient, confused. And this confusion 
this inadequacy increases more and more and more. And we look to experience as a measure of bringing about clarity, bringing about a great fundamental change. Now, can experience of any kind bring about a radical change in the psyche, in consciousness, because that is the issue, that is the problem. Our consciousness is the result of the past. We are the past. And A mind functioning within this field of the past cannot at any time resolve any problem. So one must have a totally new mind. A revolution must take place in the psyche. And can this revolution come about through experience? You know, because that's what we are waiting, that's what we want. We are looking for an experience that will transform us. But that's why we go to church or take drugs or sit in meditation, because our craving, longing, intensity is to bring about a change within ourselves. We see the necessity of it and we look to some outside authority, to some authority or to our own experience. So is there any outside authority, outside agency, as God, as an idea, a belief, can any outside agency bring about this transformation? That's one issue. Second, can any experience through any means bring about this total revolution in the psyche? So, will authority as an idea, as grace, 
as God and so on, will that bring about change? Will authority transform the human mind? I think this is very important to understand. Because to us authority is very important. Though one may revolt against authority, we set up our own authority. And we conform to that authority. So, authority, whether it is an external authority, which, which, which the mind objectifies apart from the law as God as moral and so on, that authority becomes destructive when the mind is seeking or understanding what is real virtue. And We have our own authority as experience, as knowledge, which we are trying to follow. And so there is this constant repetition, imitation, which we all know. So. Authority, uh, we are talking of psychological authority, not the authority of law, the policeman who keeps order, but the psychological authority which each one has becomes destructive of virtue. Because virtue is something that is living, moving. As you cannot possibly cultivate humility, as you cannot possibly cultivate love, virtue cannot be cultivated. And there is great beauty in that. Therefore, virtue is non-mechanical, and without virtue there is no foundation for clear thinking. To see a flower demands a great deal of attention. If you really want to look at a flower, at a tree, or at your neighbour, or your wife, or your husband, 
You have to look. And you cannot look if thought interferes with that look. And you realise that. One sees that fact. The very observation of that fact is demands discipline. There is no imposition of a mind that says, I must be orderly, disciplined to look. And there is the authority, psychological authority that demands the psyche that demands authority to to guide itself, to follow, to do the right thing. Such an authority ends all virtue. And without virtue, you cannot possibly think clearly, live a life of tremendous sensitivity and activity. And, as we said, we look to experience as a means to bring about this revolution in the psyche. Can any experience bring about a change in consciousness? You understand my question? First of all, why do we need experience? We demand it because our life is empty. We have had sex, we have been to churches, we have read, we have done hundreds of little things. And we want some supreme experience that will clear away all this mess. So we look to an experience. Now, what do we mean by an experience? And why do we demand it? Please, this is a very serious question. Do go into it with me. Find out for yourselves, if I may suggest, why you want experiences. Not only the experiences that the LSD gives, but also other forms of experiences. And obviously, these experiences must be pleasant, must be pleasurable, enjoyable. Otherwise, you don't want such a sorrowful experiences. 
は And who is it that is experiencing? And when you are experiencing, actual experiencing, in a state of experience, is there an experiencer who says, I am enjoying it? You, you've, oh, all experiences are always in the past, never at the moment. And any experience that one has is recognizable. Otherwise, it's not an experience. And if you recognize it, it's already known. Otherwise, you can't recognize it. I don't know if you're following all this. So, a mind that demands experience as a means <coughs> to bring about a radical revolution in the psyche is merely a continuity of what has been, and therefore it is nothing new in experience. And we need experience for most people to keep them awake, otherwise you go to sleep. If there was no challenge, if there was no response, if there was no pleasure and pain, we would just become vegetables, cow-like. So experiences keep us awake through pain, through suffering, through every form of discontent. <coughs> On one side it acts as a stimulant, and experience prevents the mind <coughs> from clarity, from a revolution. And please follow me a little bit. So is it possible to keep totally awake, to be highly active and intelligent, sensitive, and because it is sensitive, tremendously active, it doesn't need experience? You're It is only a dull mind, an insensitive mind that is demanding experience. Hoping through experience it will reach greater and greater and greater experiences of enlightenment of, and so on. 
So the problem is this. Our issue is this. Can a mind which is the result of many centuries, thousands and upon thousand years, can that mind, which has functioned always within the field of the known, and therefore within that field of the known there is nothing new, all the gods it has invented are from the past, from the known. And can a mind by thought, by intelligence, by reason bring about this transformation? You understand my, am I making myself clear? We need tremendous psychological change. Not a new uh, neurotic change. And reason, thought cannot do it. So obvious. We don't have to go into that. Then what will? If experience will not, nor authority will not, then what will? Neither knowledge, nor reason, nor all the cunning activities of the intellect will bring about this radical revolution in the psyche. We have tried everything. So one asks oneself, what will? This is a fundamental question, not a question that can be answered by another. But in examining the question, you understand, in examining the question, not in trying to find an answer to the question, we will find the answer. And therefore, you, to put that question, you must be tremendously earnest. Because if you put that question with a motive, 
because you want certain results and all the rest of it. It is then the motive dictates the answer. Therefore, you must, one must put that question without motive. without any profit. And that is the extraordinarily difficult thing to do, because all our activities, all our demands have motives, personal or that personal motive identified with a greater motive, but is still a motive. So what will bring about if thought, reason, knowledge, experience will not bring about this radical revolution in the psyche, and it is only that revolution that will solve all our problems. What will? I am examining the question, I am not answering the question, because there is no answer. <coughs> but in investigating the question itself, we will come up on the answer. Therefore one must be intense, passionate, highly sensitive and therefore highly intelligent in investigation. And you cannot be passionate if you have a motive. Then that passion is only the result of wanting to achieve a result, and therefore it becomes a pleasure. Where there is pleasure, there is no passion. The very urgency of putting that question to oneself brings about that energy to examine. I hope we have time, have we? First of all, to examine anything, especially non-objective things, things inside the skin, to examine, there must be freedom. complete freedom to look. And that freedom cannot be when thought, as, as the response of previous experiences, knowledge, interferes with looking. Please follow this. Hmm? If you are interested, just go with 
with the speaker little, not authoritatively, just look at it. If you would look at a flower, any thought about that flower prevents you from looking at it. The word, the rose, the violet, it's this flower, that flower, it's that species that prevents you from observing. So, to look, there must be no interference of the word, which is the objectifying of thought. Right? So there must be freedom from the word. And to look, there must be silence, otherwise you can't look. If I look, if one looks at one's wife or husband, all the memories that one has had, either of pleasure or of pain, interfere with looking. It's only when you look without the image there is a relationship. The verbal image and the verbal image of the other have no relationship at all. They are non-existent. So there must be freedom from the word to observe, the word being the symbol. with all the content of that symbol, which is knowledge and so on, then to look, to observe, there must be silence. Otherwise, how can, how can one look at anything? Either that silence is brought about by the object which is so immense it makes the mind silent, or the mind sees itself to sees understands that to look at anything it must be quiet. But whereas the very understanding that to look at anything. There must be freedom to look, and freedom implies silence. And therefore, this very understanding brings about its own discipline. Which means, there is no interpretation on the part of the observer at what he is looking at. And 
the observer being all the ideas, memories, uh, experiences which prevent him from looking. I hope somebody is following it. So, silence and freedom go together. And a mind that is completely silent not through discipline, not through control, not through uh, demand for greater experience and all that silly stuff. It is only such a mind that can answer this question. And when it is silent, it has already answered the question. Do you understand? Because it's only complete silence that can bring about a total revolution in the psyche. Not effort, not control, not experience or authority. Because that silence is tremendously active. It is not just silence static silence. To come upon that silence you have to go through all this. Either you do it instantly <coughs> or you take time in analysis. And when you take time through analysis you have already lost silence. So, analysis, which is psychoanalysis, analyzing oneself, does not bring freedom. Nor does the analysis which takes time from today to tomorrow and so on gradually, involves great many more things which we haven't time to go into now. So the mind, which is the result of time, which is the residue of all human experience, because human your mind and my mind is the result of our human struggle, endless struggle. Your problems are the problems of the Indian in India. He goes through immense sorrow like yourself. And this demand to find the truth, whether the mind, whether there can be a radical revolution in the mind, 
can be answered and discovered, the, the truth can be discovered only when there is complete freedom and therefore no fear. And there is authority only when there is fear. And when one has understood fear, authority, <coughs> and the, the putting away of all demands for experience, which is really the highest form of maturity, then the mind becomes completely silent. And it's only in that silence which is very active then you will see, if you have gone that far, There is a total revolution in the psyche. It is only such a mind that can create a new society. And there must be a new society, a new community. who are, though living in the world, are not of the world. And the responsibility for such a community to come into being is yours. The second and final extract in this episode is from the first question and answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1985, titled Is There Experience Without an Experiencer? At various times we've had mystical and spiritual experiences. How can we know if they are illusions unless we know reality? How do you look at this question? Not the answer. Perhaps the response to the question may lie in the question. So, at various times, We've had mystical and spiritual experiences. What is an experience? I'm just asking each other. What is an experience? And who experiences? Right? I may have had or are having some kind of mystical experience. 
Before I use the word mystical or experience, what do I mean by experience? And does experience involve recognition? Does it involve a sense of something happening to me from heaven or from some place or something or other, which I call mystical, which is not the daily experience, but something totally outside, which happens to me. And I call that mystical or spiritual. I like to, if I may, stick to those two words, spiritual and experience. Is there an experience without an experiencer? You understand my are we together exploring into the question, or are you waiting me, waiting for the speaker to explore it? So we are walking together, step in step, slowly or fast, but we are together, step by step, right? We agree to that? If we do, not agree. We are friends talking over this problem. I've had a spiritual experience, suppose. And what do I mean by those two words? Experience. Something new, something that I've already had renewed, or something that is happening to the experiencer, you understand? And if the experiencer is experiencing, and that experiencing is a form of recognition, that is the remembrance, identification, and so on, to that which I call experience, then there must be in that feeling that I have already known it, otherwise I couldn't recognize it. It's fairly simple, isn't it? I don't want to labor the point. It's fairly clear. As long as there is an experiencer, experiencing, then it is something that is happening to the experiencer. Something separate, something which is not ordinary, which is not a daily, boring, uh, habitual experience that one has. Right? Are we playing the game together? So, 
as long as the experiencer is there, every kind of experience, call it mundane or spiritual or holy or sacred or releasing energy and all that stuff that goes on, mostly nonsense, then what is important in this process, experiencer, experiencing, what is most important is the experiencer, right? He's gathering. So, when there is an experiencer, it gets more and more subliminally egotistic. More and more, I know a great deal but you don't know. I've had marvelous spiritual experience. I'm illumined. Poor chap, you are not. Come with me. Give me all your money, then you'll be quite safe. <laughs> they are playing this game, I assure you. Surrender yourself. Put on the beads which I give you. And all that rather silly game that's going on in the world. And what is spiritual? Religious, something holy, something unexpected, something totally out of the ordinary. Why do we want something totally outside the daily life? Go on, please answer this. which means something totally different from our daily life. Then we are bored with our daily life. The habits, the the loneliness, the despair, the attachments, the uh, power and all the rest of it. We want to avoid all that and invite heaven, which is called spiritual. We can deceive ourselves so enormously. We have the capacity to deceive ourselves incredibly. Right? What has Christianity is based on belief and faith. Sorry, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. Just pointing out for 2,000 years, and you go across the ocean to India, and there, 3,000, 5,000 years old, the same process of selling God. Why do we have to believe all of this? Because we are frightened, 
we want to know the unknown, or and so on. We don't have to go into all that. So what is illusion, and what is reality? You follow? Are we following this question? Questioner says, how can we know if there are illusions unless we know reality? Then we have to examine what is reality. What is reality? The real, the actual. Is your sitting there? The speaker is up here, unfortunately. And reality is nature, that tree, that animal, that dog, the marvellous earth, the blue sky about us, reality. Right? Reality I have feeling for my wife, husband, sister and so on, and so on. The whole movement of recognition and the actual, right? I wonder if you're, we are together in this. The actual, you and the speaker are sitting now, twelve o'clock. That's actual. There is wind. I hope it won't rain. And the actual is. The, the nature, the birds, the rivers, the water, and so on. And you, you, the questioner says, I can't know what is an illusion unless no, I know reality. Right? What is reality in ourselves? Is there anything real in us? Or is it all a movement, change? The other day in Switzerland, when we closed Saunon, gathering all together, no more, some people came up and said to, our, to the speaker, we are so sad we have closed it. And I, the speaker says, when you are sad, it's about time we closed it. <laughs> you understand? We closed it. So nobody wants a change. Very few people want fundamental change. And Questioner says, what, if I knew reality, then I know what is illusion. So we should look at illusion, the word. What is illusion? The word itself in a dictionary means something you play with. Rudere. Something you invent, enjoy yourself, I am God, I am uh, whatever it is. I am Napoleon or I am such a great man. 
you play with something that is not actual. One has pain, a despair, a sense of tremendous, unaccountable loneliness. That's actual, precise, and we create an illusion that somebody is going to help us, somebody is going to fulfil our lives, make us feel not lonely. That's all illusions. The actual fact is, one is desperately lonely. So, it's fairly simple to see for oneself if one wants to. What is an illusion, what is reality, and why this craze for experience? We had sexual experience, thousands of thousands of experiences. Everything going from here across the field, you see the birds, the house martins, and so on. That's an experience, but you don't call that spiritual. I see you sitting there, it is a challenge, it's moving. So, what is important in all this? is why the experiencer invents all this. You understand? Why the experiencer? Why the experiencer has become so important? Is there a period where the experiencer is not? That's a real question, not what is reality, what is illusion, what is experience, and all the rest of it, but are there a, is there a period, a length of time, a space, where the experiencer, the observer, and so on, is not? then you don't want experiences. You understand? There's nothing. See, that's word. The word nothing. Sorry, I'm not a dictionary. <laughs> Means not a thing. Not a thing put, not a thing of thought. You understand? Not a nothing means there is the end of time and thought. That's where there is no experience at all. That's the real thing, not all this. 